For those that's, of you who are just joining us, Alex was giving us a little inside information to that uh, AUVSI FAA symposium that most of us couldn't afford to go to. Or <laughs> Toga, California. It's a community, or it's a community college, actually. Interesting. So uh, they were working with DRL to implement a drone program there. So. Okay, good. That's helpful. Uh, then they talked a little bit about uh, drone usage between different countries, such as uh, and working with other countries to make a more standardized rulemaking system. Uh, There's a little bit of talk about flying over borders like U.S. and Canada. That one, I think they talked about a little bit and making that easier so a U.S. pilot can go to Canada and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple sessions that I wasn't able to join into, but they were talking about waivers. Uh, that was commercial stuff, but uh, mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. going for a globalist perspective on stuff. That was one of their topics. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They talked about UTMs a lot. Uh, one thing that was interesting was working with AI and UTMs to since instead of the standard form uh with uh traffic management with yeah uh with you calling in then getting a response getting approval back and forth they basically want to use ai and machine learning to pick up on trends and make it so that's a little bit more efficient which is uh, i guess nice but yeah interesting was there was that um was that thought presented by anyone from the FAA, or who was the individual talking about that? Let me see who was. So it was. Uh, so there was uh, Steve Bradford, uh, who was from the FAA. Uh, so he he is a scientist for architecture and next gen air transportation. Uh, development and Federal Aviation Administration. So he was with the FAA. Then there was Matthew Satterley. Yeah, uh, I know Matthew from Wing, and then Chris Kushier, uh from One Sky, and then Ollie. I don't know how to pronounce his last name from SkyGrid. Yeah. So they were all talking about the how they want to basically not e just skip over trying to do person to person and just get AI to do it. Hmm. Okay, interesting. The reason it's interesting is because the the current documentation on the uh, individual RSSs within the UTM are so basic that they haven't even talked started talking about what is what's the architecture that these individual companies can hand, handle data back and forth much less with the FAA. So to jump to let's use AI sounds to me um, high in the sky. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I do that's, know that that's that, very useful. Yeah, I do know that there was uh, an article that popped up uh, maybe last week about that about using uh, AI to start doing approvals for waivers and and whatnot to alleviate some of the strain on the system. Uh, uh -huh. But you'd have to, that would have to be a pretty, uh, I think, 
uh, robust system to take into account. I mean, any any flights, any helicopters, any TFRs, any you know all that kind of stuff, as well yep. as you know um, any kind of activity that's currently ongoing that's like last minute. I don't understand how it's gonna keep yeah, up with that without some, human interaction. It would have to be it would have to be something akin to Watson, a combination mm-hmm. of uh, uh, data mining and um, artificial intelligence. Yeah, the main focus for the AI part of like in UTM but a more specified focus was towards um basically flight planning so that mm-hmm. it so you could basically plan different long distance flights easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that so if you have a net whole network of SUAS you can set it up on the AI will plan the flights and avoid certain systems and basically go through the pathway but the one thing that they talked about worrying was like weather and then stuff like something if a pilot has to take over during that part of the AI talk. But other than that, they're just trying to implement AI and basically improve, add on to the features of Lance. Mm-hmm. Good. Other than okay, that, that's... it really wasn't that much that affects us. As... Okay. That's, curi- that's curious that they're talking about Lance because in the UTM conversations, they, they have been talking about separating uh, Lance from UTM and not uh, necessarily having them talk to, talk to each other. So now the FAA is saying they're going to talk to each other. Well, I think what they want to do, I think it, it seemed like they were implying that they want to make it a better version of Lance, like maybe like make something very similar to Lance, but uh-huh. it's not necessarily working together. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's okay. working together or not, but I think it's something the way they're describing it, where it could still be under where they wouldn't be working together. They just mentioned as if they wanted to improve upon what Lance can do. Yeah. No human error in AI. Dan has written. <laughs> That's awesome. Gar- garbage, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> Yeah, Bruce, what could possibly go wrong? Absolutely. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, people these days. Well, let's make the computer do it. That'll end up well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty much what uh, I got out of that from today, at least for us. Uh, well, for great. Th- thank you very much, Alex. If uh, other things uh, like this come up, please uh, shoot me an yeah. email. I'll be part Absolutely. Of- I'll be in all four days of the conference. I'll be there tomorrow and then the two days in August. So excellent update. That's really good. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So really appreciate that, Alex. That was uh, some good information coming out of the uh, FAA uh, of UC symposium. Um, so I do have a couple, actually quite a few different items. So uh, this one just announced today uh, was a U.S. slash Swiss drone agreement uh, that they have reached an agreement in harmonizing domestic and international safety standards for UAS. Um, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying that they talked about that during the symposium a little bit. They brought that up. I wasn't paying as much attention to it. I just know that they were talking about that and working together. 
So this one says this agreement builds on U.S. and Swiss efforts to ensure that the fastest growing and broadest segment of aviation is integrated safely, efficiently, and seamlessly around the world. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of the stuff that we've kind of talked about in the past where, uh, you know, if it happens in the United States, it's going to slowly start to filter out to the rest of the world. Um what puzzles me on that one, Josh, is there any mention of the European Union standards that are already ta- that are already starting to to pick an individual country seems pu- puzzling, as opposed to you know a you know one of the 27 member states of the EU. No, it doesn't actually. It it talks about the um, the innovation and digitalization unit of Switzerland's federal office of civil aviation is the mm. primary authority point. Uh, so it looks like they are working directly with. Switzerland on that so puzzling very puzzling they intend to collaborate under a declaration of intent on UAS issues of mutual interest and benefit the primary objectives of the declaration of intent are to provide opportunities to engage in research and development exchange ideas personal provide coordination with other government entities and stakeholders and to collaborate on other initiatives and projects determined to be of mutual interest uh, it's a very short article. Um, I've read a couple of these. I was wondering about that, Bruce, if Switzerland was part of the EU. They've always been kind of independent. So um, so Bruce down below is saying uh, Switzerland it's is not a, part of the EU. Ah. So that might be why. That could be why. Um, so there's that. Uh, this is actually some uh, interesting news. This is the first I heard about this, although it just came out yesterday. Um, so Liftoff, uh, the drone racing simulator, uh, we've known for a little bit that it's uh, working on coming to PlayStation and Xbox. Uh, the more that we can get simulators out there to the the general public i think the more interest we're going to have in drones and you know i think simulators are a great way to practice before you even get on board i did a little bit of simulators when i was first starting i think the only simulator out when i was uh first starting was uh free rider um and it was basic back then um but uh liftoff is coming to xbox and playstation 4 and they are rolling out a new campaign mode that will go through the history of FPV. That's so it starts cool. back in, yeah, it does. So it starts back in 2015 at the very beginning of the fascination of drone racing as players take in iconic moments of the FPV racing history um, found in Paris or Hanover. From there, you'll get the opportunity to make yourself a na- make yourself a name with small races and begin to climb the leaderboard challenge by challenge. I also uh, started with FPV Freerider and following Joshua Bardwell's tutorials on how to fly. And I think that was a great way to start. He did a great yeah. job of explaining just how to make turns and do simple things. So yeah, always recommend between, people start in a simulator. Yeah. Between that and the Hubson, the little like $30 Hubson that I got off Amazon. That's how I started. Um, so, and I do know that obviously DCL um, is also on, uh, Xbox and PlayStation, and I believe that uh, they did figure out a way to get your transmitters to work with the PlayStation and the Xbox. So um, if you don't have a fancy enough computer to run some of these sims, you can get them on uh, your PlayStation and Xbox. So uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, really neat to see that coming to, to consoles. Um, 
Dave, probably not so much of interest to you, but <laughs> I don't know if you have a oh, PlayStation no, I, or an Xbox. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> but uh, we do have you know, a rather large uh, PC with a big NVIDIA. Uh, there you but go. I, um, but I think I agree with you. I think it's uh, really important. Anything that uh, we can do to expand the reach is a good thing. Yeah, I haven't tried Velocidrone. Uh, I've been on Liftoff. I've been on DRL. I've been on Freerider. I haven't tried DCL yet. I haven't tried Velocidrone. But uh, um, any one of them, I, I know everybody's got their preference. Uh, but uh, uh, any one of them is a is a great way to get some practice in and get kind of started in the hobby. Um, this one kind of comes out of a company that we have. Uh, a little bit of a relationship with this is um, skywatch.ai. Um, this is who we do recommend if you do need drone insurance for a flight um, or for a month or for longer periods of time, you can get them through here. The cool thing is, is you can get, you know, on the spot insurance uh, right before your flight. Um, if you feel like you need it, um, they have done some updates to their web portal and that are going to be rolling out to the mobile app just for quality of life uh, fixes and to make it easier to, uh, you know, get what you need done quickly. Um, I have their app on my phone. Um, I've never really needed the drone insurance. I don't race or anything like that. But um, at the same time, I have uh, gone through the system and it works very seamlessly and the rates aren't horrible by any stretch of the imagination. They do offer discounts for uh, returning customers, people without incident, that kind of thing. Um, it will pair if you do fly DJI. It pairs with your DJI and they can give you even bigger cuts on the insurance if you're passing on some of your telemetry that shows how you're flying and, and whatnot. So, um but uh, pretty good company I, that will ensure uh, recreational. So, and I'll, I should mention also that um, uh, with uh, Skywatch, there is no financial uh, arrangement between um, Skywatch and Correct. FPVFC. Josh and I just did the uh, the research on a myriad of uh, insurance companies that provide uh, commercial insurance, and very few provided uh, insurance to recreational uh, and. Uh, uh, racing. Uh, in addition, um, the AMA uh, insurance is normally uh, secondary, and Skywatch.ai uh, AI is primary primary insurance. Uh, yep. So uh, this is uh, um, uh, it's something that we did a fair amount of research on, recommend it, and there's uh, it's just uh, uh, part of what we do as FPVFC. Uh, no uh, no compensation back to. No. Um, and we don't, we're not brokering it. We're not offering the policies, but you know, we're just pointing folks to Skywatch AI. If you need it, it's there. Yep. All right. Um, so this one comes out of California. Uh, the Chula Vista Police Department is going to, is the first in the nation to receive FAA approval to fly beyond visual line of sight. Um, um, they have partnered with Skydio. Uh, for their drones, and they can be kept in the back of a police officer's uh, vehicle, um, just in the trunk, and they can deploy, obviously, pretty quickly. We all know how quickly a, a drone deploys. Um, so 
they say traditionally drone pilots must use a trained spotter who can see drone at all times. The SkyDO drones do not replace the department's existing. Oh, hang on. Let me back up. Um, I found myself at the east end of a pursuit with several subjects running away from a vehicle. I was able to get the drone up in the air pretty quickly and eight officers in the search. Um, so uh, I'm wondering, it says traditionally drone pilots must use a trained spotter, but I'm not seeing anywhere where it says they don't have to use a spotter, but I'm wondering if they got an exception to not require a spotter. That would be interesting. Well, well if it's beyond visual line of sight, yeah, that would probably uh, negate the need for a for spotter. A spotter. It's, yeah, it's really curious that they uh, they got that waiver. I heard a little bit about this in one of the subgroups on the for the symposium, and so base. I think what I what they said was that it allows that there they still need a spotter, but they don't really they still need a spotter, but they don't have to. But it's not controlled direct, or it's not, yeah. But then they like they call someone up to control it, basically. So it's controlled remote, like more remotely. Oh, that's interesting. I, I think that's what I heard, or maybe that's something that was being planned. It, it, there was talk between that and this. I might be mixing the two up, but I think that they're still using a spotter, like the officers acting as a spotter for the aircraft. However. The aircraft's being controlled from a remote location. location. Interesting. I think huh. that there's some talk about that in one of the subgroups I was looking at. So it says all the drones are only used to respond to calls or in an emergency. They do not patrol the city. Well, obviously, we don't have batteries long enough to do that. And then there's a link that says every flight is logged here. So it looks like they're logging their flight and making it public information. So, spotters are essential to all FPV flight. Instant fatalities result if you don't have a spotter. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and, and by absolutely, I mean, yes, we know you're joking. Um, you know, the spotter is something we, we've tried to, to push. Um, you know, I think maybe eventually we'll get to that point as trust in the technology and, and, and maybe maybe down the road for their education i'm not sure uh but you know i would definitely like every every fpv pilot out there i'd like to see spotters not required but you know um nearly finished my educational video on spotters and yeah um F fpv needs spotters so do pilots i saw the beginnings of that bruce um and we talked about that a lot especially around the um time that we were talking about the remote ID response about how, um, you know, the, the situational awareness inside of a cockpit, uh, is much less than the situational awareness inside an FPV, uh, drone and, and being able to flip on a dime, see behind you, whereas you'd be looking at bulkhead on the backside of an airplane. So, um, definitely, uh, understand where you're coming from with that video. And so, all right, so this one was interesting. This is out of Israel. Um, there is a lot, in case anybody you know doesn't know, Israel is doing a lot of drone innovation. Um, I would say a good chunk of any news articles that I'm pulling uh, mention Israel, and I know I've covered a couple different things from them 
from the country of Israel before and some of the innovations come out of here coming out of that country. Um, so they are using uh, simulated drone flights, basically AI, to be able to track where the operator is without remote ID. So essentially, um, they are using simulated drone flights using a software simulator, logging the path of drones across 81 flights of three operator locations. They ran the data through a machine learning algorithm and was able to guess the viewpoint of the operator with a 73% accuracy. Um, they're basically putting a pilot somewhere in a location and determining based on that location, how the drone flies to get to the location where they, where somebody has spotted that drone. Um, and they're calling it kind of drone watching. So the drone watching technique could be paired with radio frequency scanning techniques um, to further increase the accuracy. Um, they're basically using the machine learning or neural networks to identify the command patterns of the operator. Um, and they could use that uh, information to obstruct the line of sight of the drone from the operator or find the operator and you know deal with them as necessary. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, a different use of AI as opposed to what we were talking about earlier, where automating lance activities and waivers and that kind of thing. But that, that poor AI, when they see some FPV pilots doing <laughs> figure eights around trees, they're going to be so right. confused. They really are. <laughs> but in the case of, I mean, in the case of Israel, I'm sure a lot of this is going to definitely center around. Um, uh, yeah, the idea of Israeli, defense, Israeli yeah. defense force. Absolutely. Yeah, so military military issues. So mm-hmm. um, and dealing with uh, possible weaponization of UAS. So um, definitely an interesting concept that they're able without remote ID to be able to predict where the operator would be based on the drone's current you know location and flight path. So. Um, you know, the one thing I am getting kind of uh, irritated at is the constant reference to Gatwick. Um, I would say probably three different articles that I was looking at today uh, talk about Gatwick and how drones were flying close over there. You know, no drones were proven they to fly at Gatwick. Man. And it's just like, you guys need to get your story straight. It really irritates me, but... You know, I guess it, you know, it kind of fits the narrative. So we're going to go with it. I'm sure Bruce has tried to email them all to tell them that they're not supposed to use that. (laughs) So, yeah, every time it pops up, I'm like, oh, I need to write somebody. But, um, all right. Uh, This one is out of Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. Um, There is a grocery store called Rouse's Market. they're a chain, I guess, in that area, um, are partnering with Deuce Drone. It's an interesting name. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah. um, to do drone delivery. Um, so they're expecting to be able to get uh, groceries to customers in 30 minutes or less. I'd like to know exactly how much they're planning on, on carrying on those drones. But hey, you know, uh, Deuce Drone. We'll also be doing a test flight for Buffalo Buffalo Wild Wings. So there you go. There's there's that. Um, yeah, I don't know that I named my company Deuce but hey, we'll go with it. Uh, well, they are dropping off packages, so. 
<laughs> no, you went there. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. And <laughs> face palm. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you putting that emoji in there. Oh, yeah, I, I just, you know, when it comes to drone delivery, I question the feasibility with just about everything. I mean, you can build a big drone that can carry a lot of, of weight, but, you know, then you got to charge the, the massive batteries required to, to fly those. Uh, you know, it's it's delivering things into people's backyards or their front doors. There's dodging. You know, we know there's obstacle avoidance, but. You know, it, it's dodging all the trees and yeah. everything. Power Have the people lines who are and... thinking about this ever seen a neighborhood where it's solid trees? You can't get to a house. Like, how are you right. going to do that? You know, you're going to fly under the canopy with the cars. Like, what? How's that going to work? I, I just, you know, lots of packages it's... stuck in trees. Birds wire. Yeah, you know, it's just it just doesn't make sense to me. It it hasn't made sense since the first person mentioned it. But you know, we. Everybody's got a dream, power. so we're going to dream about power it. Power loop, I love it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, thanks, I, think the, I think what we'll find is uh, niche um, markets. Um, yeah, I mean, I can imagine, like, very, you know, small item, you know. I, uh, medicine, uh, yeah. medical, you know, medical, critical, as well as uh, people in uh, – locations that are uh, you know sufficiently remote that a drone can yeah. get there much more quickly Prince and they're going to charge a premium for it prince yeah. mj should give us the elevator pitch for his uh, senior thesis yeah <laughs> and like bruce is saying small ground vehicles make a lot more sense for most deliveries yeah yep. and I think it was a couple of weeks back. I did share a news article on, you know, they did a test with uh, drone delivery versus ground delivery. And they found that, I think we talked about this last week, but, um, you know, in, 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 in urban areas where, you know, population is fairly compacted, it made much more sense for ground-based, but for rural deliveries, it, it made a little more sense. And, you know, there are vaccines being delivered via, fixed wing aircraft and, and stuff like that absolutely makes sense. But, you know, delivering everybody's groceries or their Amazon packages or, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just, it's silly. I mean, Amazon can't even, I mean, they use a, a, a coffin sized box to put a book in. So, I mean, they can't even get the packaging correct to get on the, on the regular, you know, ground-based vehicle. It just doesn't yeah, make One sense. of the points here that search and rescue of, uh, is absolutely uh, live yes. and well. And we're we're, uh, we're talking to uh, uh, the director of uh, DroneResponders.org, um, mm -hmm. and so we'll, uh, we'll hopefully learn more and uh, share more about what they're doing and uh, um, the idea that you know what's the relationship between an organization like that and FPBFC that's focused on recreational. And while we think this is a a great pool of talent for uh, organizations that. Uh, are doing uh, first responder activity. Yeah. And not just in the mountains, uh, EB, it, it would be anywhere. You know, you've got, let's say, you know, something like a hurricane and you've got flooding, you know, that's a perfect time to get 
drones spread out in every direction looking for survivors and people who need help and um <clears throat> earthquakes and uh, you know down buildings where we can fit a drone in a tight space you know um you know that kind of stuff uh absolutely makes sense um but you know it's just drone delivery is just kind of out there all right um so this one comes from drone life this is uh interesting article on a possible not confirmed could be maybe uh uh interaction between a uas and a helicopter um so basically we don't know if a drone hit it the ntsb is saying that it could be maybe a drone that hit it um, no drone was found. No drone parts were found. No drone was seen. Um, they are not... The, the pilot originally thought that it was a bird strike. Um, he did make a precautionary landing. Uh, it did strike the uh, uh, the boom uh, between the actual aircraft and the tail rotor. Um, it put a decent-sized dent, they say. There's no pictures in the article about it, but... Um, where, was this, where was this located, Josh? This was in California. I'm sorry. Uh, -huh. <clears throat> uh, this was in Los Angeles. A news helicopter was flying in Class G airspace above 400 feet in altitude under VFR rules uh, when they heard a loud noise. Originally, the helicopter thought the noise indicated a bird strike. Following safety protocols, the pilot made a precautionary landing. Uh, examination showed a small dent in the horizontal stabilizer. Um, damage that the NTSB categorized as minor. Um, all available as they're saying, although no drone was located preventing complete certainty, all the available evidence was consistent with the collision with a small UAS. So I don't know how you draw that distinction, but hey, there it is. Um, so um, let's see. Evaluating drone risk is difficult. Different studies, the vast majority of which rely upon simulation, have evaluated the risk of a drone strike uh, from minimal to extreme. These studies don't provide adequate information. Uh, in fact, the only data we do have results on are the rare occurrences when drones actually do collide with manned aircraft and that none has yet to show serious damage. Um, this was interesting. Paul Rossi of 910 Drones, uh, North Carolina-based drone training and services company. He has a military background in aviation maintenance, and as an unmanned pilot, he's focused on safety. He says that in his experience, commercial off-the-shelf drones just don't have the size or weight to cause catastrophic damage to a manned aircraft. As systems become more complex and larger drones become more common, the situation may change, but the current commonly used aircraft aren't likely to down a manned aircraft. Um, according to this, pilots, manufacturers, and regulators around the world agree with him, uh, but it's hard to prove. Um, so definitely an interesting article about the possibility of a drone strike, but I'm wondering how they're coming to the conclusion that it was. Uh, so let me catch up on some of the uh, let's see, comments here. Drone delivery fatalities. Yeah, no fatalities is definitely very important note. 
could have been a piece of space rock. Absolutely, you know, it could be that that dust thrown off by SpaceX or something. More people have been hospitalized by falling space rock than I would probably tend to agree with that. Fake news, all SUS must be registered. If it had been a drone, they could use the registration. Yeah, of course. Um, that microlight incident in New Zealand, it was a drone, but it turned out to be bad maintenance. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, definitely uh, interesting uh, articles there. So the other thing I wanted to touch on, and I don't know if y'all saw it, but up above, let me grab the link real quick. Dan posted a video of a fireside chat, and this had um, Jay Merkel and Sean Cassidy. Uh, Jay Merkel, if you don't know who he is, he is the head of, uh, what's his official job Uranus. title? Exactly. Executive Director of the FAA UAS Integration Office. Thank you. So he's the head honcho at the FAA for UAS. Um, and Sean uh, Cassidy is an Amazon exec who is also the head of uh, U- UAS team, the mm-hmm. UAS safety team. Yep. So, <laughs> so, um, Part of the conversation in this, and and mind you, I've only watched the first half of it, so I will preface it with that. Uh, But Jay Merkel makes a couple of comments in here, one about remote ID, and he's been very quiet on what's happening with remote ID. And at the same time, though, within this, he makes some pretty telling information that kind of stood out to me. So... In here, he talks about how, you know, once remote ID gets uh, resolved by the end of, and they're looking towards the end of 2020, December 2020, to uh, finalize this um, and start implementing it. Uh, he does make the point that all UAS, after they implement this, that all UAS manufactured in the United States will have a remote ID. So that's pretty telling for the fact that a lot of the comments that posted were regarding this very scenario, and it doesn't seem like they've butched on it. Um, again, they haven't released the final rule, so I can't quote that for fact, but um, they also haven't released you know, what form of remote ID is, is going to be in place, if it's going to be broadcast or if it's going to be um, internet-based. So uh, it's pretty interesting um and then he goes on to further talk about how uh drones will need to be certified but he doesn't specify um or he doesn't specify about the certification process i'm sorry let me get that straight the other thing that kind of irritated me uh was that they were talking about getting the getting information about safety out to the general public the recreational community as he said and he said you know we really need to work with uh you know the recreational community and and figure out how to get these people educated on you know that they're really they're 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 up in aviation they're conducting aviation activities and and whatnot and i guess the first thought that came to my mind is that you know a lot of these recreational communities including us including you know uh, flight test uh ama you know, a lot of us have been beating down their doors to get involved with this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's been crickets, it seems like. So, you know, that's the other thing that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, 
And... That's right. I remember that. That kind of bothered me the way he said it too. It's like yes. everyone in the airspace needs to be a professional, a professional pilot in the airspace or something to that effect. Like you're, yeah. you can't be a recreational person in the airspace. You have to be a pro like all the other pilots out there who are risking yeah, and... their lives to be in the air. Yeah, and it, it just really drove me crazy. Just sort of when gives I you heard some it. insight into what he's thinking about recreational pilots. Yeah, and the fact that you know, even beyond that, that a lot of us have, you know, a lot of the organizations he talks about specific recreational organizations, and it's just like, bro, you know, we've been we've been knocking at your door for you know two years now. You know, open the door, let us in, let us talk. Let us get involved. Let us help you make some common sense decisions instead of, you know, at the you know whim of some three-letter alphabet agency and, and actually make this accessible. And yeah, it's, inter it's interesting because one of the tasking groups from the drone advisory committee that we're that I'm working on and leading a subgroup is on safety culture and the objective and actually, is did he ahead, reference David. it or did he? he uh, did. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. But then, I mean, the notion is we're trying to, you know, take the good from manned aviation and uh, apply it where applicable and uh, to um, small commercial, read uh, part 107 as well as recreational. Yeah. And uh, if they're just going to blow, blow off the recreational, that would be very unfortunate. So, you know, and he did reference that exact point. He did talk about the the safety committee, subcommittee and and how, you know, moving a lot of the well-respected safety practices from manned aviation and over to UAS and and that makes sense, but at the same time, you know, there's this glaring question that he leaves in the air. How do we communicate that out? And I think well, he ignored the part about where applicable too. It was more of directly moving yeah. the yeah there's a yeah there's a fair amount of uh, manned aviation that would like to just carry over the uh, the full um, very uh, bureaucratic uh, you know heavy um, processes around uh, safety safety education reporting uh, etc over to UAS and uh, we have uh, gained agreement in the uh, the six tenants that we put forward as the umbrella statement that um, the uh, regulations and uh, the safety for the safety culture need to be proportionate to the risks. And so we've uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, on this uh, over this target, uh, describing you know, that we're at a different baseline than manned aviation when manned aviation started formally working on safety, safety culture, safety processes. Then we still have a zero fatality record, and interestingly, we have a uh, a community that appears to be interested in operating safely. And so, uh, that's what uh, the survey that that I uh, created uh, bears out, both recreational as well as uh, commercial. small commercial, right? One hundred seven based commercial. Yeah. So not not, not cargo, not delivery. All right. <laughs> Didn't, so, didn't look into those. <laughs> so, you know, I guess the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, he's looking for a problem or he has a problem and he's looking for a solution when the solution has been beating down his door. And yeah. it, that's really frustrating, I think, for me to see. So, you know, just 
just putting that out there that, you know, there needs to be a more open dialogue between the FAA and the recreational organizations and the recreational community as a whole. You know, just last last week for the 4th of July, the FAA put out a Facebook post. Uh, I don't know if many of you saw it, but it basically said if you're going to the park, if you're going to see fireworks or uh, if you're going, I think it was if you're going to a park or a public space or, you know, to spend time with family, leave the drone at home. Well, no, that's not accurate. You know, and they, they, in the post, they espouse like safety issues. Well, no, you're, you're literally creating a misinformation campaign where there's none to be had. A park is a perfect place to fly a drone. A family gathering is a perfect place to fly a drone, assuming you have the space and everybody's okay with it. You know, it just absolutely made no sense. Really, so. I, I think you know, putting out cautions like uh, "don't don't fly near forest fires" that's a good that's a that's yeah. sensible. But uh, you know, don't fly you know, don't fly in parks. Leave your drone at home. Give me a break. Yeah, it absolutely makes no sense. And and by doing that, depending on you know, and again, it was on the FAA drone drone zone Facebook group that that put it out. Generally, I would right. say that most of the public is not subscribed to that, but people who might know people who are subscribed to that, you know, it's literally generating fear around drones and it's just, yeah. it's not necessary. And, and, and we agree this would not be over people. Right. But flying at night is legit for recreational. in the yep. United States. So anyway, uh, just wanted to throw that out there. So that get that off my chest. My frustration is uh, now released and now y'all can be frustrated by it. So uh, let me catch up on some of the comments here. Uh, yes, all SUAS will have remote ID, just like they all have registration now, which solves the problem with hitting man helicopters. Yeah, sure does. Um, uh, let's see. How about addressing the culture of entitlement that we're seeing in respect to commercial users of the sub 400 air sub 400 foot airspace? You want to expand on that, Bruce? Is the mic working? It is. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. I mean, these guys have wandered in and said, well, you know, this is our airspace now. We're going to use it for commercial purposes. And to hell with the people who have been using it for decades for recreational purposes. Is that They just feel they're entitled to wade in and use this airspace to the exclusion of all others. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. There are prior rights. We've been using this space for so long. They're not learning anything from us. They're not listening to us. They're just kicking us out the door. So that's something that I think needs to be addressed. And also, as far as um, culture or safety culture goes, just compare the fatalities from the hobby versus the manned aviation community. Right. And yes, the risk is lower with, with the hobby, but still, some of it has to be a safety culture. And a safety culture that produces zero deaths, regardless of the risk, is always going to be better than one that produces hundreds of deaths a year. So they're dismissing everything they could learn from our side of the ledger and believing that theirs is the only one that counts, the only one that matters. And that's highly apparent when you look at the levels of representation we're getting at these meetings. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of that, I mean, commercial, I think what Bruce is, is referencing more so is, is corporate commercial use. So this would be your delivery drones and, and your uh, inspection drones and, and, and that kind of thing. You know, I would say that the, the small commercial industry uh, is very cognizant of what's happening in the recreational space and and very keen to you know work together 
at least our interactions with the the small you know these are your independent operators essentially and most of those guys are a great group of people they're very knowledgeable they're they're fantastic at what they do and they use the equipment fantastically but you know the the large corporate uh, groups looking to move into the space are, are, you know, it's very difficult to kind of side with them because they're like Bruce said, they haven't really interacted much with the, the recreational side and, and gotten our insight and understood what we're doing and, and what they're doing and how we can work together as opposed to, you know, just dominating the airspace. So I agree with that. Um, zero deaths. Insects don't stand a chance with FPV in the sky. Yeah, I've taken a few out myself. Um, local city deemed COVID too dangerous to celebrate. Yeah, most of uh, most of uh, that happened here too. But we had tons of fireworks going off in, in my community. And did you guys see all the fireworks over LA? That was amazing. Um, but not over people in the dark. Yeah, you don't want to be over people. Um, but recreational can fly at night. Um, that's a very common misconception um part 107 cannot but uh, uh recreational can fly at night Let's see you forget that the faa commercial crowd a drone yeah uh, is a 26 octocopper being operated yeah so i mean yeah that's a big difference so um but yeah anyway uh that's about all i had today any questions comments concerns ideas anything that anybody wants to express alex did you come up with anything else from the faa symposium uh no um, uh, i'll see what there's uh, tomorrow and then i'll see what goes on in august and i'll let you guys know absolutely means, um, well so. feel, feel free to bring that information to our next meeting too uh, and we'll give you some time to talk about it. It'd be awesome. All right. Definitely. So, anybody else have any comments? Dave, you got anything for us? Uh, just a thank you for our participation in the, the survey I put out. Uh, we got great response uh, from the FPVFC group. Um, about uh, pretty much, uh, I think it was about half the number of. Uh, uh, total respondents from Rotor Riot, which has a, a Facebook group with 33,400. And uh, combined on the recreational side, we had uh, more respondents than we did across 10 separate uh, commercial uh, sites, so, you know, Facebook groups, and doing the same survey. So the survey I did, five or six questions. Uh, it's being, we're using that in the uh, Safety Culture Drone Advisory Committee. Um, safety culture uh, subgroup. So that's uh, that's good work, and the results are good. And as I have learned, uh, it's always good to try to get some primary research and not uh, base a, a, an opinion on your own view, but rather try to do the research. And there were a number of surprises. One of the surprises I had was um, that there was a significant interest in uh, you know. So what would you like to see? Uh, as an augmentation to the erstwhile um, UAS recreational knowledge exam. What sort of information would you like to see from the FAA? So would you like to see battery safety, pre-flight planning, during flight planning, etc., or emergency planning? And emergency planning came up, or travel tips on the uh, um, traveling with uh, lithium polymer, ba or, you know, lithium polymer batteries. 
emergency planning far and away was the most um, desired uh, topic. So things like that uh, really surprised me. So my thanks to, uh, to everyone and uh, uh, the information is being uh, used and I've shared it both with the recreational subgroup and using it with my small and commercial uh, subgroup. I was asked to lead, uh, lead small and commercial and I'm sitting on the recreational subgroup which is led by Chad Boudreau and Rich Hansen of AMA. And we're, having, oh, we're holding weekly meetings. I've held weekly meetings now for the last 12 weeks. So we're coming up with a series of recommendations and they will be presented in October at the Drone Advisory Committee. That sounds like the most active DAC committee you've been on, like you, more meetings than almost any other one, right? Oh yeah, and, be, and it's because I've been I've been leading it, and uh, I I did on the C2 Spectrum uh, meetings. I, I drove those weekly. Uh, the, the level of uh, the technical discussions on those was deep, 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 deep. So this is more <laughs> of a um, lots of research, lots of reading, good discussion, and uh, uh, good participation. Awesome. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking this, but they're wondering. Is Rich Hansen a little more vocal in those meetings than he was at the DAC meeting? <laughs> he's a he's a little more vocal. He's um, uh, Chad Boudreau is uh, leading the uh, uh, the team, and uh, uh, we also have um, uh, Brian Schulman. Uh, we have Chris Cooper from AOPA, um, and Vass uh, Patterson from. Uh, Alpa Airline Pilot Association and me. So that's a recreational group. It's uh, not a lot, not a large group. My uh, small and commercial has, uh, uh, I think I'm at 20 participants now. Wow. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty, it, uh, it's a very good uh, representation. Uh, Boeing, um, uh, Alpa, in, uh, Dave Krause from Influential Drones. I now have uh, drone responders on it. Dallas PD, AMA, DJI, uh, and I said I think I said AOPA, um, mm -hmm. so and BNSF. So pretty good uh, participation. Nice. Um, just to let everybody else know, as we're kind of closing this out, we are applying to put Dave actually on the uh, DAC, uh, not just helping out with the subcommittees, but actually as a voice on the Drone Advisory Committee. So. Um, we are working on his, uh, actually, we worked on his uh, uh, application. So uh, that is in process. So hopefully and we I can have, get a. And I have three letters of recommendation from DAC, current DAC members. So awesome. Very nice. So hopefully yeah. we can get uh, some more representation of recreational on that uh, committee. So that would be awesome. Uh, so. Uh, unless anybody has anything else, Dan, you got anything for us, sir? Uh, no, the only news you forgot to mention was DJI released a new firmware update for the FPV system. So those of us <laughs> oh, who are well, flying that that are hot off the press. That's excited. you and Dave's category. I'm not cool enough yeah. to own a DJI. So <laughs> the biggest, know, I just, I... Yeah, the biggest change is that it's got double the bandwidth now. Um, so you can use 50 megabits per second of data. But that means it uses twice the FPV uh, 5.8 gigahertz frequency. So you can only get three people in the air and you tromp on uh, double the frequency. So wow. people have to be careful. So is, is that getting you better video in your goggles by doing that? Yeah, so there's more, more data flowing to your goggles. So 
better really, resolution. you just don't get the blockiness as much. You know, if okay. you're flying around a lot of trees, you see the trees better with less uh, compression artifacts and stuff like that. Nice. So, yeah, it just looks better more of the time. Are you getting more distance out of it, or have you pushed it that far? I haven't, but I don't. I can't imagine how you'd actually get any more distance because you're still the same power, the same. Okay. You know, five point eight gigahertz. You're just using a wider channel. Okay. Um, but you should get clearer picture for more of the time, I would think. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because I got, I did, I have test flown the DJ. I actually wrote an article on Get FPV for it uh, when it first came out, and it was amazing. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, just can't afford it. So um, there's that. And I'm still using, in case anybody is wondering, I, I'm still using my Fat Shark HD twos. So they are now at this point probably four or five years old. Definitely getting your money's worth. Hey, you know, they're still working. I I am using a Tango or not a Tango, uh um what is it? The TBS uh the receiver in it. The oh, fusion. Yeah. Thank you. No, the fusion. Yeah, I'm using the fusion module. I don't have a rapid fire, um, but I am using the fusion and that's working really well. Um, did you get but, the fusion uh, update board? I did. Yeah. Okay. I know some people were waiting a long time to get that. No, when it first came out, I ordered it and I think I got it in like two or three weeks. Okay. So it wasn't horrible. Um, but, uh, it's an easy swap out. It's literally peel up. It's just, you separate the two boards that are there and, and sure. plug the new one in. So not a big deal, but, uh, yeah. So Still using my HD twos though. I really do like the HD twos, um, but uh, yeah, it's probably going to be time for an upgrade, you know, in the somewhat near future. But uh, yeah, so at any rate, I will bid you all a good evening and please stay safe out there, stay healthy, uh, very important, and hopefully your summer is bringing you lots of flight time. Uh, and uh, yeah, be safe out there and have a good night. You too.